This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of A Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with licensed clinical social worker Elisa Stamps about the top 12 hoovering tactics of a toxic narcissist. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. With me today, I have Elisa Stamps. How are you? I am good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, I'm great. Thank you for being here. And for those that don't know you, you are a licensed clinical social worker. You do therapy for adult children of narcissists and for people who have disordered eating. You are the author of the Gaslighting Recovery Journal, and you run virtual support groups worldwide. So thank you for being here. And today we are going to talk about the top 12 hoovering tactics of a narcissist, what you can do about it, you know, when these things are going on. And we may have you know, an extra one for you on top of that if you have some kids. So anyway, thank you for being here and let's get to it in the uh, first, the first tactic we have up here on our list, the reminiscent sentimental Hoover. Yes. Yes. I feel like we're doing, um, you know, how David Letterman used to do like the top 10, whatever. I feel like that's what we're kind of doing here. We, so. with the top 10 list where everything on the list, it was actually probably the best joke. And then the number one was always like the worst one on purpose. We'll try, we'll, we'll try and not do that here. Right. I was going to say, these aren't really jokes. No. It's actually kind of sad. Sad. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the sentimental reminiscent Hoover, right? So um, this is maybe a narcissist or gaslighter that knows that you had good times together, you being the target, them being the gaslighter and narcissist. Um, very sentimental, might reminisce, send you emails about memories and whatnot, um, you know, maybe sharing old photos together. I think this can happen a lot with parents, not only partners, narcissistic partners, but parents that are narcissists where they, you know, just want the relationship to return to the way it once was. And um, will remind you that you only have maybe one mother or, you know, they're really going to play into the 
the sensitivities of the target. You only have one mother. Yes. I can tell you, I think I've heard my grandmother say that to uh, my mother and my aunt on many occasions. Yeah, yeah and I, I've had clients where they've received maybe letters from their parent that they haven't had contact with for a while. And, you know, there's always that brought up somehow. You only have one mother or, you know, love your mother or like really trying to like ooh, dig that point in. And, uh, you know, with the sentimental reminiscing type stuff, you know, sometimes I think a, a an abuser wants it to be visceral. And oh, everyone always has, you know, their song or, totally. you know, the, the movie that they, that they both love to watch together uh, and to pull you back in, especially through the song, because that song hits you. Or the idea of it in your yeah. heart and in a place of time that you can really connect to in in a different way than if it was a vacation that someone's yeah. reminiscing, or you know, you know, obviously Christmas time might be a thing if it is Christmas time to be like remember right. that Christmas, you know, especially you know this Christmas time you're going to be getting stuff. Yeah, such good points. I love this idea of like. That they really, um, they know how to capture that time. And they, you know, I almost feel like they they make these consciously or unconsciously, these lists of ways to, you know, maneuver you back in, to, to rail, you know, rail you, reel you back in. Oh, there's a lot of thinking that can go behind it. And with, you know, if it's like a vacation or something like, uh, remember the time of the mall or, or whatever, you can't send you on that vacation, but you can send uh, audio. You can send uh, a video of the trailer of that movie that might have that song that like, yeah, you know, and then, you know, that opens the door of, yeah. you know. My mouse is on the reply button. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, know, I, I just I, dated myself by using the word mouse. <laughs> it didn't even phase me because <laughs> I'm right there with you. <laughs> I'm like, don't we all have mouses? Oh no, maybe it's something different. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. sooner will just be your brain. Um, yeah. So that, that you know that, that with the sentimental one, is there any anything more um, in that? You know, it reminds me of that sort of honeymoon period too, um, that is often talked about more in in terms of like when they're, the narcissist is a physical abuser. You know, when there's been that that situation, that incident, and then afterwards they're kind of like on their best behavior. They want, you know, they show compassion. They show it's so. It's crazy making because you're returning to them for the support that you need that they caused you to need. You know what I mean? Oh, I hear you. It you know it's all. It's like it's um. They're creating a scene, or they're creating the mood. They're creating yeah. the aura yes. of it, and the hope that you get swept up in the the magic. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's smoke and mirrors. Total smoke yeah. and mirrors. Yep. So up next, a classic Hoover. 
a classic. real this is a real classic Hoover on 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 all the Hoovers. This is, you know to me it's like a low a real low end uh, Hoover. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not if that makes sense, the, it's called the yeah. accidental contact. Yeah, Hoover. yeah. Yeah, they're not writing their master's thesis with this move, are they? <laughs> um, this is as yeah. simple as you can get. Yeah. So, you know, sorry, and this can be like, you know, sending a text to someone right. and pretending that you're not the person that the text is supposed to go to. Yep. Just to open up a door hoping that you write back something along the lines of, yeah. This text wasn't meant for me. They're just hoping that that door opens a door. Yeah. Yeah, I think this, and I think it can even be um, accidental, but even with, like, random questions where they'll just text you to ask you about something that maybe the two of you knew or talked about once. Just, the, oh, I was just trying to get information. I just needed to know that. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, that would be I, – I, I would classify that more as like if you shared a dog or if you had some sort of things kind of in common once, hey, we have this bill. Um, I could easily take care of that bill, but they're getting a hold of you being like – here. actually, everyone, here's a number. We're adding a 13th. Um, it, it is like, oh, we have this bill together, and I can easily pay it, and that's it but I'm going to make you know that we have this bill that I am paying. So it's kind of like these once shared responsibilities that I'm trying to get information for that I really don't need that information for. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it happens after like silent treatment from them as well Mm -hmm. as sort of their entry back in. Yes. And so that's like, uh, so that's uh, two and three right there. There's the accidental contact, which would, be more on the line, like the long lines of like um, uh, someone saying like, hey, did you contact me? Like where where it's like you, they know that you didn't contact them, um, but they're they're pretending <laughs> that you might have done something for them to actually do that. So that's more in the accidental. And then the one that we just did before, if that makes sense, is on the, uh, you know, shared duty contact let's call yes. it yes good good we're coming up with our own <laughs> oh, you are. ones that weren't on the list now you have three everyone you bought yeah. two got one for free there you go it's a good deal so up next also yeah. a great one mm-hmm. a very dramatic the crisis hoover oh yeah talk us through this yeah, so I've personally I've experienced this. Um, I think it happens again a lot with adult children of narcissists. Perhaps there's been that silent treatment period. Um, perhaps there's been like blocking of your narcissist and going no contact. They will somehow be it directly reaching out or be it let's say through a relative, maybe that you still have contact with, let you know that something urgent is happening. So, oh, guess what? I just got my test back and I, I do need chemotherapy or, you know what I mean? Like it's some, it's a big mic drop kind of situation. One of my parents has died. My friend died. Right. You know, and then it tugs on your heartstrings where, oh, I have to be here 
right. for this person. Yeah. It would go into maybe rescuer mode, which is a familiar role that maybe we've been in in these relationships where they they get to play victim again and and we come in and rescue. So they hold, you're the caretaker comes in and your guilt comes in. Then all of a sudden you're on the phone with them. You might yep. meet them in person. And then before you know it, you're back in a relationship with them. That's right. That's right. And um, again, I personally, I've experienced this actually, as we're talking about it, countless times from my narcissistic parents. So, all right. Yeah. So what's the latest crisis? Uh, the latest crisis is possible exposure to COVID. It, it's a, it's a, like an entry point, right? Like that I'm, I'm going to tell you this happened and then I'm expecting a reaction. And the great thing about this is that it could be very exaggerated. That's right. Or it may not even exist. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because absolutely remembering that the narcissist relationship with the truth is an interesting one. All right. So up next on our list is they get someone else to test the waters Hoover. Right. Um, I think of this one, I don't know what you think, but I think of it a lot as that flying monkey kind of situation where they send in others to kind of check it out, maybe contact you again, if there's been no contact, um, like do somebody, send somebody else to do their dirty work. Yeah. in in the family, it could be your sibling who gives you the call being like, hey, when are you going to talk to mom? When are you going to talk to dad? You know, they whatever you think they did, they might not have done it. I think you're overreacting. Yeah. Oh, did, that, I just, did I just do your life right there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, my previous life, yes, before I... Began my own recovery journey. Um, yeah, the triangulation piece, 100%, right? And then, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone and they're gone. Yeah. And they want to get back in and they are trying to figure out different types of Hoover attempts. You okay. might get, you know, unbeknownst to the other person, they have no idea that they're part of the whole entire scheme. They're only hearing one side of a story. Right. And you get a phone call from a, a mutual friend, possibly. Yeah. Right. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you're talking about normal things and then they stick it in there. Right. Because again, the narcissist has made themselves out to be the victim. They have flying monkeyed people that will buy into that. And then they shoot them over to you. And, you know, Again, you know, oh, your poor mother, your poor partner, you know, they really lay it on thick. And the toughest thing when this happens, when it comes to a uh, friend of, of the the abuser that's doing it, is that since it's not coming from the abuser themselves, that it might actually be more convincing coming from someone who you actually trust or you uh, hold uh, 
a solid, healthy opinion of that maybe this person is right and I am wrong. And that right there gives a little bit of an edge when it comes to making decisions or standing in your boundaries. Because if someone else is invalidating or validating the other person and what the, and and how they are trying really yeah. hard yes yeah you know and it could be like they've gone to you know they're going to the therapist i saw them hanging out with this other family today you should have seen this person with their other person's children you know all of these little things that might be being said are are pretty big um and you know it's just one of those ways that they can hoover you back in 100% and i would also say too that like that's part of our work is to you know if there's a sibling that's still really enmeshed with the narcissist let's say that is not the sibling that's a sibling to maybe be mindful of holding boundaries with mm-hmm. because they're going to then take that information back to the narcissist and it's it's going to continue that pattern of triangulation. Mm-hmm. All right. Up next, they apologize over and over and over and mm-hmm. over again, Hoover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say that my first thought that comes up is it's never really an apology. Like, let's really look at what it is. I, You know, I've worked with clients that have made the choice to, let's say, really tell their narcissistic parents everything about how they're feeling. And then we'll come back and say, oh, my my parent apologized. And then we really dissect it. And it's one of those, I'm sorry that you feel this way. You know, so I would even dig in there and say, is it really an apology? They're going to say, oh, I'm sorry that you feel this way. I, I, you know, they're never going to take full responsibility and say, I am sorry that I created this hurt for you. I am going to try to do better, right? Like part of an apology is taking accountability. And even when they say I'm going to do better, you know, we've heard apologies over and over and over again in our lives. We know some people, healthy people in our lives, if they've hurt somebody, you know, they've gone and done work. They've actually, and we know that they have gone and, and are trying. So when someone apologizes to you, you know, to look at the apology and say, well, those are just words. And I know previously we, I said before that, you know, when the neighbor comes in or not the neighbor or uh, a friend comes in and says, they're going to therapy or whatever, you know, an apology is an apology unless they actually are going to do work or there's actual evidence that they might be doing things. And it's not to say that going to do work is going to make them uh, better because they could be going and not saying anything while they're there. But, um, you know, if they're not even attempting to do anything like that and it's just an apology, then what is going to change? Yeah, we need to look at the actions behind the apology, yeah. too. Absolutely. Great point. So up next, yes. we have 
this is, I guess, a re-love bombing in a big way, like flowers, totally. gifts, things delivered to your home, you know, really over-the-top kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, you know what comes up for me? I, this came up as I was reading over this list, but particularly with this one, is, you know, if you look at the five love languages, one is gift-giving. I really believe that the narcissists, they're good at their craft. They know their target. They know what can be manipulative to the target. And if the target's love language, one of them is through gift giving, they're going to know exactly what to do, the narcissist. So they're going to love bomb and shower with gifts and, and sentimental gifts, I would imagine, as well. And, you know, they'll probably know the, the exact perfect gift uh, to give to you. Uh, and when you say sentimental kind of gifts, you know, one that actually hits you right in the heartstrings. Ooh, right there. And yeah. getting it delivered to your home, it's something it's impossible to avoid. You know, you're you're trying to avoid the Hoover in every single way. And here is, you know, uh, right when uh, you're home, the doorbell rings, and here you go. Right. I mean, you have two options here. Immediately throw it out, or the curiosity gets the best of you. Right. You know, and I, oh, it's such a hard position to be in, right? And especially when it is something that's so sentimental. I do know of clients that are have really, really, and I would say like if you're at a place in your recovery where your boundaries include actually sending the gift back to the narcissist, like kudos, because I think that's a really hard one, but some some people are at that point where they can do that. And I guess another thing when it comes to be, gifts being given, uh, sometimes people who were stingy or uh, not forthcoming with their money when all of a sudden that they do do a Hoover like this and they are um, showing you that they're like you through spending, which wasn't before, it might show to that person, oh, this person has changed. Yes, right, right. And there you go. Reeling you back in. Oh, maybe this time it'll be different. Look at what they were able to do for me that they were never able to do before. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. So next thing we have on the list, the future faking Hoover. Yes. So tell us about this. Yeah, I feel like this one is, you know, that sort of dangling a carrot in front of you, maybe the thing that you always wanted from them, um, something that they had promised, you know, that's something else with narcissists. They make all these promises that are so unrealistic that are, you know, usually never kept, but maybe this one time it looks like it's going to happen. Um, yes, I will propose to you. I've got the, you know, like just. Yes, okay. I'll divorce my wife finally. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm laughing about it, but I'm sure so many people have uh, heard that. You know, yes, I'll have children, even though I said I didn't want to have children. Um, uh, think, things along those lines. When it comes to 
the narcissistic family. You know, parents in, you know, future faking, it's, it's really interesting, you know, because future faking with parents, in my mind, you know, if you're trying to set boundaries with them, they might finally uh, say, I get it. And I understand your boundaries and I'm not going to, um, push them. I, I, I understand what you're saying. So you're kind of maybe getting like a dangling carrot of the change of the interaction between all of you. And for a lot of people, that's kind of all you wanted. Um, the change of their behavior or the, the promise of their change selfishness. Yes. I, I'm so glad you used the word promise because that's what was coming up for me too is this like idea of string of broken promises, mm-hmm. you know, which for a child, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And now we're coming up at Christmas time where a lot of people are hoping that everything is going to be different. So um, for everyone who's listening right now and uh, and this is the holiday season, if you are listening to it, then this message is for you, you know, try and stay within your boundary lane and, uh, you know, just concentrate on yourself during this time. Yes. Yes. Self-care, self-love, so important. Up next, yeah. this, this one is for the ones that, uh, you know, pretty much they're out of control, making threats Hoover. Yeah, I would say this, this one to me really speaks to like the very textbook. If we're using narcissism as a spectrum, they're going to fall on that textbook, textbook narcissist, you know, and almost into that like antisocial kind of person, the one with no empathy, no remorse, that is really just out to get what they want and need. And they really don't care who they scratch and claw at to do it. Um, so to me, that's what this one speaks to. And it's, I don't know, this one to me, I almost have like a visceral of like very ominous, very almost dangerous. Yeah. Like this is, you know, as we discussed earlier, one was based on guilt. This one is based on fears. So it's the opposite of loving you to come back in. Uh, this one is all based on I'm going to get them back in based upon the fear that they might have with the rest of their life. So you might be a single mom of three children. Who's going to want you? Uh, you know, you know, you make nothing. I make all of this money. You're not getting anything in a divorce. I have a great lawyer. Good luck on your future without me. Yeah. Absolutely. Those, those threats. And I would say sometimes these even do make it to court where, you know, the narcissist is so threat oriented that they're going to make the target's life a living hell to kind of trap you into coming back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and that, that's a huge, huge thing when it, when it comes to this is, you know, putting the fear in your brain as, you know, your life, um, I'll make either your life a living hell, which brings you back. You know, I'll, you know, when I'm with the child by myself, you don't know what's going to happen, but like, if you, but if we're together, everything with this child will be okay. I mean, these are real 
tangible um, fears and uh, they're very strong and they're very visceral. And when people say to, you know, abuse victims and survivors that like, why would you stay? This is a big reason, you know, and this is a part of it. It's not just in the relationship, but it's also the Hoover of how you can be brought right back into it. Yeah. And, and this feels very realistic too. You know, the others maybe feel more avoidable in some ways. This one, especially when they're playing with your children and using the children as the middle, uh, you know, the tug of war, it can really feel dire. Yeah, the, the other ones are, you can have, as we said, smoke and mirrors. Right. Some might be magical. Some might be cute. Some, you know, of those ones, nothing is pressing. Nothing is dire. Um, and, and this one here, um, you know, maybe the one about the crisis could be in that situation of kind of sucking you back in. But this one here, this is immediate concern. I'm calling 911 concern. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So up next, we have holding on to your belongings. We've gone from the uh, the giant concern here to holding on to your belongings, which is a really interesting one. Yeah, um, it's, it is interesting. I'm just, I'm just sitting with it. I, I, you know, I'm, you know, those stories like you hear when you're dating, like, oh, well, if he left his scarf over there, it must mean that he wants to see you again or something like that. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I think that was in, uh, I think that might have been part of Fifty Shades of Grey. Okay, I actually didn't see that, but I will take your word for that. Okay, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Go watch my YouTube video I made about Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, will do. It's um, I make fun of it. It is one of the most unhealthy movies uh, around. Yeah. But that's what uh, you get from being fan fiction of Twilight, which is also one of the most unhealthy films for women around. Yeah, yeah. We could add to that list, like, until tomorrow, I yes, think. Yes, yes, we can. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so go back to that. Yeah, so, right, um, so maybe it, maybe this also plays with the sentimentality and the emotions a bit. Like, you know, if they do leave something behind, we can start to second guess, maybe even gaslight ourselves. Um, but then... Well, to, to, to add on that... Um... They are that when something is left behind, it's still in your home. Yeah, right. Your own within your boundaries. Within your boundaries, for you yep. to circle around, for you to know it's there, to to feel. Yeah, so it's more than right. Just the object, I feel like, is what we're getting at. Yeah, it, it is more than an object. It's them being in your home, you not throwing it out. You know, yeah. you, you know, because you still somewhere deep down, they've said to you, "Hey, don't throw that out. I want to get it," and and you've listened to to that. You know, if you threw it out, it would be over. It might be an argument, but here, you know, it might be in a room, and it goes both ways here, in the sense of uh, I think they have something of yours, and and you want that back, um, and then they won't give it to you. 
right? Which holds you and the object hostage. Correct. And then the other way is it's in your home. You want it gone, but it's still there. And it keeps the connection uh, for a Hoover uh, alive. Because even though you don't know, and for the most days you're trying to ignore it, it's talking to you. Yes. I'm... (laughs) I'm thinking about this time a a little while ago when I was walking down the streets. I live in, you know, outside of Philly. So I was walking down the streets of Philly and I came upon the outside like door of a house and somebody had taken whoever's stuff, their partner's stuff and just thrown it all like right out on the street. And I'm not that that's sad, but you know, maybe something to consider in terms of boundaries. Like, like you said, getting it out of there somehow. Up next, we have one last conversation, Hoover. And and I think, I, I feel like the targets can really feel pulled with this one, too. Like, this idea of closure, we're so big on this idea of closure in our society. And I will often say to folks, sometimes we have to be okay with nobody knowing our side of anything. And that you know, the closure may not look at all like the, um, you know, the societal standards of what closure is supposed to look like and, and what we can do to come to terms of that within ourselves. And this can sound like uh, I just have a couple things I'd like to say, then we can go our separate ways. I really need to explain something to you. I feel that I have to just one last thing. So we understand each other and then we can just call it a day. And, you know, it's their foot in the door to, um, manipulate or, um, take a situation you thought was done where there was a misunderstanding to make themselves, look possibly like they um, understand. Right. Yeah. It's not at all about you. It's about them. Yeah. They don't, they're not interested in hearing, you know, your actual thoughts about it. Correct. Correct. (laughs) Exactly. They just want you to hear how they've now interpreted it and how they've and I'm air quoting, reflected on it. Yes, reflected, right. You might even hear, you were right. Yeah, but I would imagine that would be followed up with something. You were right, but. But, yes. And there's always the but. Always the but, the however, the and, the you. (laughs) If someone says you were right, make sure there's a period at the end. Yes. Yes. We're back to the whole apology thing. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Next one up on the list. Appeals to religious beliefs. Okay. This is a a biggie. Yeah. I'm thinking about like within religion itself and certain sects and certain extreme sects of religion, that in and of itself has narcissistic qualities and cult-like qualities. Um, so maybe part of this is a twofold thing where 
you know, I, I'm a big, huge fan. I think you had him on your show of the Nexium. Like any cult type of thing, I can't get enough. I, I love to watch it and learn about it. Um, so maybe it's like a twofold thing, right? Like leaving somebody choosing to leave this religious cult type situation, and then the the person who's still in that who maybe has even brought the target into the situation, right? So leaving that and then also leaving this narcissistic person behind. And, um, you know, it's, it seems really layered and complex to me. And then using this whole idea of purity and sin and guilt as, as manipulation tactics. Yeah. The, the, you know, the sanctity of marriage our vows, things like that in the Hoover, you know, one last time. Uh, I've been praying and God has told me we should be together. I mean, that is, for someone who's religious, to hear something like that can, you know, really reel you back in. You know, that might sound weird to someone who is not religious at all, but that could be one of the most romantic things you can say to someone who's very religious, yeah. Um, God told us to that we should be together. Um and then the fear-based ones, you know, cuz that's a love-based one. Uh but a fear-based one, you know, you've turned your back on Jesus, you've turned your back on God. Uh I can help you find him again. You know, so there's there, there's you know, they they can use the loving parts of religion and then they can use the fear-based parts of religion to uh yeah. suck you back in. And I think in the same sentence, right? Like you turn your back on God and I'm afraid of what will happen to you. Yes. I don't want to see that happen to you if you do that. Yeah. And I'll be the person that can help you find that, you know? Uh So, you know, when they do that, they're kind of hijacking your uh, beliefs in a way and they're forcing you to choose between staying with them um, or go, you know, or or go against your own faith. So it's this real big struggle, especially if you've been living um, in a religious community or your faith based for a very, very long time. Um, you know, because you um, that community has been nourishing to you in a lot of ways, and you, and your whole identity might come from from that, or at least part of it. So to use these in that way is. Um, you know, very, you know, very difficult to leave. And as we've seen in documentaries and things like that with cults and, you know, yeah. as well, families, because families are cults. It's hard to, it's hard to leave the family. Right. I think it can also be used as justification for abuse in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, and also in terms of sex, that comes up for me a lot with this one too, that, that sex can be used in abusive ways and particularly in various religious um, situations. So again, I think it's so complex. So it's interesting when you discuss justification, like everything that they've done has been justified based upon, uh, you know, what we've learned our whole entire lives. So, you know, I may not be apologizing for anything because based upon the scripture or whatever, there's justification for that. You just have to, you know, make your way over to God more and be part of that. 
So right. it's, it's like, if anything, this is, of all the categories, the second least or the least amount of apology going on. Mm. It's a real mind trick. Total. Yeah, it's just, and it's, I mean, it's fascinating how we can even get to these places too, yeah. right? All right. Next up on the list, we have a threatening to harm themselves, Hoover. Yeah, this one um, I think happens a lot more than maybe we even talk about. And I think um, when there is that sort of narcissistic personality, but maybe there's some borderline or histrionic traits in there as well, that is a common tactic. Unfortunately, that's used, and it's it's sort of sending out these signals as to who's going to save me. It's a test. It's a way to test, to keep you roped in, absolutely, but also test how how far will you go as my rescuer? Yeah, so this can come out as I'm going to kill myself if you leave, or they just start might start mentioning if your relationship is rocky. Well, well, um, yeah, at that point it is rocky, but they'd mention it. Um, also, I've been cutting ever since we broke up. Like that, they start telling you about their self harm to uh, to really f- get that guilt laid on pretty thick. Absolutely. Or even I think an addiction, right? Well, you, if you leave me, I'm going to start using again. I'm going to start drinking again and you're going to be responsible for my relapse. I mean, right. We can use this tactic. It can be used in so many different ways. Yeah. And that's a big thing you said right there, which is responsibility that they're taking the responsibility of their actions on this one off of their hands and putting it firmly on you to make you think that you were the one that caused this when no, they're the ones that cut themselves. They're the ones that have these emotional problems, not you. They're the ones that have to go to therapy. You're only in therapy because of them. Maybe you had other issues you were dealing with before that you need to deal with, but right now they're the primary part. Yes. It's such a desperate, right? Like the word desperation comes up for me with this particular tactic. And, you know, I used to work in an inpatient drug and alcohol facility as a therapist, and (laughs) this would be projected on therapists all the time there, this idea of, well, you know, if you let me do this, I'm going to just drink it. No, guess what? I don't have that kind of power. We we don't have that kind of power in the relationship. They have the power in that respect as to their own responsibilities. And you use the word desperation. This one is the equivalent to me of you're on the 50-yard line. There's one second left in the game, and you throw up a Hail Mary. Yep. It's a full-on Hail Mary. So now that we've discussed all of these hoovers yes what can someone do to retain control of their uh, life here and how do you protect yourself against a hoover and stand strong absolutely um i think the first thing is awareness that's the first step to anything so so trying to view things from a different vantage point maybe taking ourselves out of the immediate situation and looking at it from a an aerial view, if you will. So having awareness, reaching out for supports. There's so many supports now, you know, something like your fabulous podcast or a therapist that specializes in this type of emotional abuse. 
uh, friends that are really there for you unconditionally that aren't going to be hoovered themselves, you know, standing in that and then just standing in our own authentic truth and holding boundaries and claiming our land as to what is acceptable and what isn't. They're looking for supply. The narcissist is looking for supply. And if we don't engage with that, we're not going to give them what they're after. Well, Alisa, I want to thank you for being on our show once again today. Where can everyone find you? Tell us what you're doing. Sure. Um, Thank you. First of all, this was, dare I say, like fun? (laughs) I had a good time. Um, yeah, so you can find me on my website, uh, www.alisastamps.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. I think it's at alisastamps.therapist. I started recently a humble little YouTube channel, so feel free to check that out. I've got a couple videos up. Again, it's very humble. It's in its early beginnings. <laughs> um, so feel free to check that out as well. And, uh, you know, the book, too, that makes a great stocking stuffer. Just kidding. I don't think it will <laughs> So the book is The Gaslighting Journal, and we can go to your website and click on it and buy it there. It's also available on Amazon. Yes. yes. So, so that is that. Uh, Lisa, I want to thank you once again for being here with me today and sharing all of this uh, information with everyone and having just a good time with me. Thank you. Thank you so much. I I was thrilled to be back. So very nice to be with you. And now, everyone, before we end off the show, I just want to remind people, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to a page with all of these different instructions of what to do. You can fill out that guest form or send us an email from that page. And another thing we have at NarcissistApocalypse.com is at the top of the page, we have a support group. So if you click on that support group button, it will take you to your very own, our very own safe social network where you have... uh, where you have forum boards, we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night and Saturday night. In the new year, we will be adding an afternoon group as well. And also on there, we have ceremonies. We have closure ceremonies. We have uh, ceremonies for new beginnings as well. You can post anything you like on there. We also now have a newer group on there, which goes into a lot of existential stuff, I think. I think that's what it is. A lot of deep kind of stuff. Uh, someone in the group created uh, just a lot of interesting, great people on there that are there to support you. So if you want more support, please go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and at the top of the page, press the support button. And if you need even more support, please do go to DomesticShelters.org. They have an extensive library of articles and resources that can help you make sense of what you are experiencing. They can connect you with local resources, and they can find ways for you to heal and move forward. So please do go to DomesticShelters.org. And I think that's it from me, myself, from Alisa Stamps. 
we just want to wish you a Merry Christmas, a Happy Holidays, whatever you're celebrating. For those that don't like this part of the season, we hope you're doing well. Uh, reach out to uh, any organization you can, to any support you can during this time if you're having trouble. So, you know, thank you for listening to the show. And uh, now uh, we hope you have a good night.